everybody. Welcome to the 10 Figure Podcast. This is your host, Nelson Sparks. Uh, I just really want to tell everybody how excited I am to have my first guest. Um, I've got uh, John, one of my good friends, John Hill. Um, he is part of the adaptive growth uh, and then also the mastermind of the Sherpa sales method. Um, and, you know, so that's basically, I, I've known John for about three, four years now. Um, and have been really, you know, always impressed with, with what John has done with it. So I'm really honored to have him on our show as our first guest. So John, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. So, um, it's funny, John, I love getting in the conversation with John because at the end of the day, um, we go off on some crazy tangents, um, and they're usually valuable tangents. That's the cool part. There's like some aha moments that come out of them typically for me. So I hope they for him as well. Yes, <laughs> and, for sure. And that's what uh, that's what we're trying to you know develop and and kind of deliver on our, my first co- podcast for Ten Figure. Um, you know, we were even talking about my my overhanging light to get you know better uh, color on my face to make sure that we can actually I could show up and I don't seem like a dingy person in the corner and trustworthy. Um, but one of the cool things me and John were just talking about was his you know his basically companies Adaptive Growth and Sales Sherpa. So yes. Which which one came first? Was it the the chicken before the egg, or the egg before the chicken? Like what? Like where was the the process in this? Tell me about oh, that. Man, so adapted growth started out as just me trying to build systems that made it hard to lie to yourself as a salesperson, right? Because sales is a mindset driven role. How you feel about it is how you're going to do in it. And when you're new to sales, there's lots of things that you're told, lots of things to think about, lots of things you're supposed to tell yourself. And there's like a lot of fake it until you make it kind of raw, raw mentality. And what that can lead to is it can lead to you not being coachable, right? You're not really hearing what people are saying. You're not looking at why you're not winning deals. And I say all this because I've been this person, right? I've had my head stuck in the sand and I've been overly... um, optimistic about my own ability to have really great conversations. And I used to be a professional poker player once upon a time in a past life. And I had a poker coach and my poker coach made me get this software. And what the software did was it worked essentially like a, like a poker CRM, right? So it took in every hand that I played online. And before this tool, I had to look at, okay, I won on Saturday. I lost on Sunday. And that was about as granular as you could get. So it made it hard to improve. Now I could go look at, I want to go look at this one hand specifically. So the thousands of times that I played a hand like ace, jack or ace, ace, how did I perform in those instances? And my poker coach gave me this line and I, and I still talk about it with like CRMs is you will improve based upon the quality of questions you ask yourself, which blew my mind at the moment. And it, it, it comes down to what's your intention when you're going back through that data, right? So if you go back into your your sales CRM and you're just like, why didn't I win this deal? You're asking yourself the wrong question, right? What did I miss? How could I have saved time? How could I have differentiated myself more? How could I have figured out where these potential landmines are that kill deals so that way I save time? So adapted growth was really just trying to build a better feedback mechanism for salespeople because there you have to have some ego. You have to, because there's lots of rejection and you have to frame it the right way so that we can keep going. But if you go too far, you're not coachable. You can't take any feedback from anybody and you're potentially not being effective in the role. So yeah. 
it started from there. And then with COVID, a, a bunch of friends of mine who'd been in sales for a very long time got laid off and they weren't really sure what to go do now. And so we started doing placements and we started kind of helping people move into online sales roles. And the things that people were asking for was they wanted someone who sold like I sold. And I came up in a very, very famous, well-known kind of methodology, but it, I didn't prescribe to everything in that methodology, right? There were parts of it that I don't like, parts of it that I won't use. And we decided that if we're going to go out there and help people bring in salespeople like myself, because that's what they were used to, that's what they liked, we had to build a system. And that's where Sherpa came from. Um, and Sherpa is really focused on awareness before you use any kind of like technique. There's lots of techniques you can use in sales to have better conversations. But if you're not aware of the space you take up as a salesperson in that conversation, you're not going to use the techniques well. You might piss people off. You might just blow them completely out of the water because you might not be using the technique well. You might be using it as a crutch. You might be trying to get your needs met versus like trying to get the clarity in these things. So our whole method is awareness first. You have to know yourself very deeply. And we take people through a process of understanding themselves. So that way, you know, every personality has got strengths in sales, but they've also got weaknesses, right? That's just how it works. And so when you can dive into that, like, don't like neglect it. Don't like hate those parts of yourself because part of it brings you greatness, right? You just have to also acknowledge that there's going to be balance and those kinds of things and be aware of it. So. so we've talked about that before, like where, you know, that's not something that comes natural to you, is it? What specifically? The, the, the honing of the sales skills and like you are very much of that idea of the, of take everything in and, and kind of bridge, I guess, from the, uh, you know, from take all the data in and, and make your analysis and then go talk to me about like, what made you make that jump from that very, very analytical person to being that very, you know, where you could positively make those recommendations and you could, um, you know, deliver the type of feedback that you're probably not really accustomed to your personality. I mean, first of all, it comes down to on paper, I'm not any, I'm not what most people would hire to be a salesperson. When you look at me on any one of these major personality segments, whether it's disc or uh, Myers-Briggs personality index, cultural index, if you run me through any of that stuff, it's all going to tell you don't hire John to be a salesperson. Right. <laughs> um, and that. I don't think it's very helpful because, you know, I'm four years into running this company. We've done some very cool things, helped lots of people. It's inarguable that I can get it done, but there are certain elements that make me want to go do it. And there are certain things that I do because they're tied to my personality. They're tied to how I want to work that allow me to get it done. So it started for me because I was in a, I was in my first B2B role. I was selling medical devices as spinal implants, screws, cadaveric tissues, these things. And I was struggling very, very, very much so. And it just kind of felt like maybe this wasn't for me, which was uncomfortable. Like, like I'd already been in sales for like eight, eight or so years at that point, but I'd been in retail sales. And so this is my first B2B role. And it just kind of felt like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And then a guy that I was studying martial arts with, he goes, you should come meet my coach. And I responded with the same ego that everybody else does whenever I approach them about, hey, do you need some help? I don't need a freaking coach. I need more doors. I need more prospects. I need more time, you know, all this ego. And then it was, if I'm coachable in Kung Fu, if I'm, if I, if I find someone that has something in Kung Fu that I want, I'm just going to go get it. I'm not going to let my ego stand in the way between me and learning. 
maybe I should have that same mindset and thought process around this thing that is my, my role. It's how I make revenue. It's how I pay my bills. It's how I support my family. So I went and I met this coach and he took me through one of these personality assessments and he showed me who I was on paper. And he was trying to tell me, maybe you should go do something else, right? Because <laughs> he'd never coached someone with my personality to sales success. But I'm looking at myself on this paper and hearing the words that he's saying, and I have this moment of clarity. And this is weird because I can be remarkably stubborn, but I have this moment of, I am learning from the wrong people. If I can find people who are more like me, I'm going to figure the rest of this out. I'm just learning from teachers who, who can't teach in a way that is easily accessible to me. And the only reason that I was able to understand that was because I've been teaching Kung Fu for a very long time. And I'd seen some people get it and other people not get it. I'm the common denominator there. Right. And so reaching out to other people who explain things differently made me better as a coach in those moments when the way that I explain it didn't get them to that lights on moment. Right. So that led me to having the space to realize I need to go find people who think about this the same way that I do and then figure out their steps and then put in the work and it'll be okay. But that's really where it started was from that point of awareness around maybe this isn't the thing I need to be doing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. So talk to me about like the, the target market that you guys are in with the adaptive growth. Are you more of like where you're dealing with entire sales teams or are you dealing with individuals? Like what, what are you kind of, where do you cater the plan to? So it, it, it honestly depends because I like working with the whole range because there's a big difference between a sales team of seven, right? And what they need to be doing and the volume of the work that they need to be doing versus that solopreneur who struggled in sales, but largely they've struggled because they've not been consistent, right? Or they've not been skeptical, you know, about like what they're hearing on their calls and really taking a beat to say, okay, are you, are you really wanting a proposal or are you just asking for one? You know, like... If you're not really trained, you're going to potentially hear what you want to hear in some of these conversations, as opposed to like really hearing what's being said and even being able to read between the lines on some of these things. So mm -hmm. I love the whole range. The, the people that I like helping the most is whenever I compare an aware owner with a good balance from like a sales perspective. So that mm -hmm. way there's balance across the whole thing. Um, every team has got different personalities and different things on it. Even when you look at things like special forces, right? Like the, on, on like a SEAL team, you're going to have different kinds of personalities because if you had a bunch of just go get it or don't give up kind of people that you're not going to get missions done. You're not going to get things done. So I'm a big believer that balance is super important and the more balance you can cultivate inside of your organization, the better off you're going to be for the long run. So we try to be very thoughtful of that, not just like bringing in a salesperson, but the right salesperson to balance out the rest of what's already in the organization. Okay, so you're working with with Adaptive Group and, and Sherpa. It's it's really addressing from everything from the organizational aspects and processes within them, even to down to the salesperson's individual conversations. Yeah, is that correct. Yeah. So one thing I want to talk about is I, I loved our conversation today um, with Sales Sherpa and and tell us a little bit about not Sales Sherpa but with the uh, with the Sales Lab. What do you do with the Sales Lab? Yeah. So. <laughs> this comes back to a martial arts thing that's very prominent in martial arts conversations. No one's a black belt by reading, right? So to get yeah. to black belt, right? The way that it used to work was you got the white belt and then because all the grime and the dirt and the time of you rolling around and getting thrown and beaten and then improving, it turns black with the grime of your, of your path, right? 
we've lost a little bit of that in how martial arts is taught, but you don't get there just by reading about it. Right. Or yeah. like looking at a script and being like, you know what, I'm going to do that next time I'm on a call. It just Black doesn't up. work that way. Because, because <laughs> <laughs> like, practice is the thing that's going to make you good, right? Because yeah. we don't really know how we're going to perform in the heat of the moment. You are only going to hope and guess if you're not actually trained. So sales lab is meant to be the practice, the reps, the opportunity to come try certain things in an environment that's safe to try stuff on. Like I know people that are spending $150 to get a lead, right? It's going to mm -hmm. be terrifying to go in there and try something brand new that you've never used on a prospect or in a conversation before and you know, in what's potentially a very expensive lead. So we try to provide space for that because honestly, a lot of sales leaders don't really have the time to work on like conversational improvement and the soft skills of selling awareness, you know, modulating to the personality of the other person, not just hearing what you want to hear, probing deeper, you know, that whole thing. So we try to provide space for that. That is great for the individual or the person on the sales team. Well, I love the conversation today that we had about the expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Yeah. And, and because one thing that I think is very important for salespeople is to know that, and, and, and I know in all the organizations that I've been in is like, it's always been kind of a, a butting of heads sometimes from fulfillment versus sales where you don't set those clear boundaries, right. Yes. And not telling somebody, you know, the, the traditional, you know, words out of the salesman is yes. Right. Yes. 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 We can do that. Yes. We can do that. Yes. We can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, we talked about today about, you know, setting up where setting those boundaries and saying no. Right. And so what do you talk about, like with, with clients and getting into those, I guess those conversations, like, is it, is it good to set those boundaries or is it something where, you know, you may be costing yourself the potential of expanding in a particular area? Where do you define the difference in, in that? And how do you make those assessments? with using your particular sales process, like the Sherpa method, I should say. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way that I think about it, and this kind of flies in the face of what I think a lot of classically trained salespeople would talk about, because I see a lot of value in going through like, like avatar development, really understanding who is in that bucket of people who has a great outcome, they love your work, you love working with them, all of those things, because once you have clarity on what that person looks like, you know, you can then go look for those people specifically, right? And one of those things is being very clear on the work that you want to do versus the work that you don't. If your strategy, but you're not doing the hands-on work, you've got to set the expectation that you're not doing the hands-on work because otherwise they're going to feel like they were sold. They were told something that wasn't true. And salespeople already have the brunt of that stigma that they carry around all day, every day, because that's just how sales is viewed. But to me, the reason why clients leave is because you didn't meet their expectations, right? So when you look at like marketing agencies, conceptual brain power, copywriters, consultants and stuff, if you can't here, here's what you can expect. And here's what you can hold me to. And if that doesn't line up, you're going to lose them as a client. You might never, you might not ever close them at all. And that's totally okay. But you want them to stay, right? Because mm -hmm. like, no matter what you're doing, if it's marketing or sales consulting or, or anything else like this, it's probably not a day one ROI for you or for them, right? So there's got to be some, some iteration and some improvement. And that's where the relationship really comes in. Like all these people who sell you know, leads as a commodity, right? You're going to get 150 leads over the next 60 days or your money is back. You're not going to get any grace if you hit 155 great ones 
but you don't hit the 160 because everyone is just focused on that commodity metric of like, what's the guarantee? That's a and good point. that just sets you up to fail, right? So when you can have the right kind of conversation with the right kind of trust, you don't have that pressure for like risk reversal and discounting and these things that other people do to try to talk people into yes, you have trust and that's gonna help you a lot whenever you miss, right? Because as a consultant, you're testing things, right? I'm a sales consultant, right? So like, I'm gonna go test my ideas. I'm gonna go have sales conversations to see if these talking points get people to move forward or not. Sometimes I miss and that's okay whenever I have a relationship, but whenever I've sold it, it's like, I guarantee I'm gonna, you know, forex your close rate. I can only be accountable to the outcome. I can't be, I can't show you the work in a way that moves the whole thing forward. So that's a good, that's a good point. So like whenever we talk about, um, you know, the different sales processes, and especially right now, like you see everything online with, um, even with a lot of the closers that, you know, the, the groups there's, uh, that what is there the abundance of the agencies that are like, Oh, we just do closers. We do closers. Right. Like yep. it's like, how, how well can that process be long-term, um, in growth within particular clients, if they're not building the, the trust and they're building the product, right? They're, they're not building all they're basically on is, I love how you said it, the commodity, right? Mm -hmm. It's all it is. It's basically like a candy bar at the fucking, at the gas station. When they're yeah. done with it, like they forget about it. It's the sugar that the kid had and they're like, okay, cool. That was great. And, but if you're not delivering something of value the next month, then somebody can honestly jump right in there and be like, well, I can give you 165. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's no more, there's no more of any sort of value in, you know, and really what you're bringing, all you're, all you're doing is just that's commodity aspect of it. So how important is, how important is that versus like, let's say you have in an ideal situation, you know, we have leads coming in. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no drawback in that. You've got the person that can, that can close on that, you know, isolated package. That's the $3,000 a month, right. Versus you know, the relationship aspect where you get in with that company, you can help them grow and you can mature through their different processes. Like how many companies would you say from the experience of the people you're dealing with are gravitate more towards that relationship versus more towards that commodity? Man, this is like one of my favorite topics because like I, you see, we're in a lot of the same groups, right? We, we run a lot of the same circles and, and I see so much terrible sales advice, right? I mean, very, very blatantly heavy, like first level kind of prospecting thing of just, of just like, just take it away from them, right? Because then they're going to want it and people want what they can't have and stuff. People who are like first level burning desire kind of clients are going to fall victim to that kind of stuff all the time. But like savvy buyers, like you're not going to, you're not going to force the government to buy the way that you want to sell it to them. You either decide that you're going to jump through their, their, their hoops or you don't get it at all. Right. So I, I think it depends upon what you're really trying to do. Like offer creation is a, is a huge portion of this, but like, if you have a really great relationship, I can go put out an offer. I can go talk to the people that I have trust with and say, Hey, do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? And then if they don't need it, they're going to tell me no. Right. And this is what I talk about with everybody. When you have that relationship and you can get to a no, you can then figure out what they would have said yes to. And then you can make a decision on if that's something you want to offer them now, or maybe that's something you offer in the later, or maybe that's something you just take back to like, you know, your marketing ideas of like, okay, maybe we do this kind of positioning later on. But mm -hmm. I, I think it just depends upon how you want to run and, and also what your like acquisition channel looks like. I'm a big believer 
that most people should have some sort of digital marketing going. Like it might not be ads, but it might be cold outreach or, or something like that. But then you also need to be proactively like have a top 50, you know, have the 50 accounts that you yeah. really, really want to work with because like those are different urgencies. They're different timelines. They're different levels of investment, right? So when you have a list of people that you really want to work with, like you're going to treat that differently than just like when you're, when you're fielding incoming, you know, requests and stuff and throwing out appointments from Facebook ads. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and you know, like it's funny that you, you talk about that because like with, with, you know, the acquisition of a lot of these clients, like that target avatar of, of what we want to work with the, that takeaway client is probably the one that scares the shit out of me the most. Like the one that's like, oh, I have to have it. I have to, right? If they yeah. have that urgency, like they don't, they're always going to have that urgency within every single process that you're running through. And we know that, you know, building systems, building dynamics even within sales teams, and especially within building campaigns, like it takes time to mm -hmm. mature and grow. And if they have that, that crazy urgency with that, then they're probably going to have that crazy urgency with everything else within that relationship, right? That's... I mean, I, I, I talk about this all the time because if you don't have an actual discovery process on the front end of this thing, you really don't know who you're working with, right? Yeah. If you're not asked any questions about like, how do you want to work or what outcomes are you going to be looking at to determine if this is a good fit for you or not, you don't really know what you're getting into. So one of the things that I talk about is that you, to get better at saying no to things, you have to be thoughtful about the kind of people that you want to work with, right? Like, I'll try to bring up a struggle point that is very common in my work. Like, okay, whenever we disagree on this kind of point, because this happens fairly regularly, how are we going to handle that? Right? Because I want to know as early as possible, are you going to, are you going to hear me out? Are we going to be able to have a conversation or is this going to be one of those things to where you're going to get mad and it's going to be your way is the highway, you know, kind of deal. Because if, if they're a pain during the prospecting and qualifying phase, they're not going to be a great client afterwards. Yeah. Right. You're potentially letting like a fox into the hen house who's going to take up your time and your bandwidth and just destroy your, your work life balance because you didn't ask enough questions or you got too excited or it seemed like it was going to be okay. Like you either know or you don't. And that's where sales, really good sales lives in my opinion, right? You have a standard that you're trying to fit hit with the clients that you work with and the salesperson is there to qualify for that fit, but they're also there to like do R and D like what else could we offer? What else would be helpful to you? And those kinds of things. So it's, it's all, it's, it's all combined in my opinion, right? Sales is important is the pitch and the packaging versus that versus so, that the uh, needs analysis. Here's, here's my personal opinion on it, right? The shorter your discovery or your needs analysis or your qualifying is, the more like on the point you have to be in the presentation, right? Yeah. Because if we have a good thing of like discovery and I ask you about your struggle points, I ask you how you worked on it, what has worked, what hasn't, what, what would you like it to look like and everything else like this. And then I present a solution that looks like I've been listening to you this, this entire time because I have been. And then we can then talk about, hey, is this what you need or not? But if you have like a five minute discovery thing and then you say, okay, cool. Well, let's talk about why we're here and what, and how we're, and how we're going to be able to help you. You bet. Like if you're not a bullseye, you're probably going to be a maybe, which is usually a no. If you're not an outright no, because they just decided that they didn't like it because you didn't give them enough time. So and when you're, when you're talking about a bullseye though, are you talking about like, 
packaging or personality or like, yes, yes. All of the above. I feel like that's what I feel like as well. I think that, you know, that's the point is if you don't know, because you haven't built that relationship, like you don't have, you haven't gained that trust enough to ask them Mm -hmm. what was wrong. Right. Yeah. What piece in this? Because we wouldn't be on this phone call if, if one of these pieces wasn't solving some sort of issue for you. Like you wouldn't have yeah. taken your time. Right. So which one of these isn't? Because yep. there's something in there that is and you haven't gained you haven't built that trust or gained that respect like from them in order to be able to ask those questions. So, yeah, I love that. yeah if well, you if you you can present a very people-driven proposal to people-driven people all day long. But the minute you get a goal-oriented person who's more concerned about their goals than the people who are doing the work, that people-oriented, people-oriented presentation is going to land as flat as a, as a joke that works in LA that like doesn't work in small town, Iowa. Like (laughs) it's just not going to work. Right. So part of discovery is understanding their learning style, their, their communication style. So that way you can give them what they need in, in the proposal. Right. If they just want details, you give them details. If they want big picture, broad strokes, that's what you give them because that is what they've shown you is the way that they want to communicate. Now, that comes down to that awareness of yourself, right? Like what um, when I when I was a poker player, one of the big things that everyone talked about was your table image. Like what did what does what does your play say about you that maybe you're not even aware of, right? Um, and to this point a friend of mine who's a professional poker player still he loves to show a huge bluff in his first orbit right so so he sits down at a table and he'll bluff and he'll lose some money on purpose because he's looking for a really big opportunity to show that he's just full of crap right and the the first time he does that he then changes gears and he tightens all the way up and he just plays like super tight abc poker after that but because he's shown them that he can bluff he just gets customers all day long right Mm -hmm. and that is such an important thing in sales right if you are moving too quickly, right? Which is what a lot of salespeople are. And you're dealing with someone who's more reserved, right? They want to take their time. They want to know the details. If you don't show down and show them those details, it's going to be a no, because it just has to be, because you didn't give them what they needed to make a decision. So they're going to go off and make it on their own terms without you there. And then you got a chase to follow up what that decision was. That's not a great use of time, because if you're really consultative in your approach, you can get that on the phone call. Yeah, I completely agree with you there for sure. So is let me tell me more about like the sales Sherpa as a as a system. How do people get involved in that um, versus adaptive growth? We kind of kind of talked about that a little bit. Like, is is one a de facto guarantee with the other, or are they they separate? Like, tell me about the differences. Yeah, so adaptive growth is more of our consulting, right? So if you're looking for CRM, if you're looking for sales process, if you're looking for all of that stuff, you can hire adaptive growth and we'll just take a look at what you have and then we can test some other options using our best practices. Sherpa is our conversational methodology that we teach consultative salespeople how to use, right? Um, There's a, you know, going back to the earlier point, there's a, there's a lot of techniques that you can use in the middle of a sales conversation. And when you do them well, the other person doesn't even realize that you're using them on them, right? Because a a conversation is an emotional moment if you run it the right way. And since sales, sales decisions are made emotionally and then they're justified later, later intellectually. So when you can get someone emotional about where they really are and what they're trying to do, you can then present emotional things to them and, that is what gets the conversation moving forward a lot of times. Now, 
what happens is that when you put a technique into the hands of someone who's not really ready to use it, it becomes a crutch, right? And yeah. you have people who will do some pretty egregious things in, in their sales conversations in the, in, in the names of like trying new technique and trying new things because they're not really practiced, right? So we take a practical method to selling, right? There's not that many things that actually kill most deals, right? There's about seven deal killers that are pretty much universal across all market segments that we've looked at and have studied and built CRMs around and everything else. Now, there's going to be other individual things going back to that avatar slash ideal client mm. profile that you might need to disqualify around. But, you know, one of the major ones is like not talking about money, right? So since money is an uncomfortable topic, lots of people don't talk about it. So they'll invest hours and hours and hours and hours with a prospect and then they get to a proposal and then, well, this is expensive. Uh, right. And then it's uncomfortable for both people there. But if you talk about money very early on, Nelson, I'm curious when you're thinking about this kind of thing, what should it cost? Like that can be handled in the very first conversation. It's very lightweight and you're not really hammering them on what they can afford, but you're just asking them like, Hey, at a gut level, is this something you feel like you should be investing in? And what should that look like? That is going to provide a lot of clarity and free up a lot of time because not everyone's expectations are going to line up with yours. Right? When I was well, doing I websites, think, I, I think that that those questions and, and bring in a really good, you, you get down to almost the, you know, that really natural aspect of things, right? Like you go from that question to, okay, cool. Like if you think this is going to cost this, what happens if you don't invest in this, right? What mm -hmm. happens like the next step? And you can ask more of those questions where it pulls out within their organization you know, the true impact on this, is this just something you saw on, you know, YouTube and we're like, cool, I'll, I'll check it out. Or is this something where like, you know, I have this new CEO, if I don't get this done then they're not going to be able to scale with their plans, like identifying those, those real legitimate pain points, because I think no matter what anybody says, like the money is, is always a pain point for people. Like yeah. you either have the emotional aspect, like, right. Or you have the, the, the financial aspect. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, keen in on those and understanding how they're legitimately going to affect on that conversation is extremely important. I feel like, well, and to that, to that same point, there's a big difference between something that would be nice to fix and something that is super important to fix. Right. Yeah. And until you do a really great needs assessment, I don't care what it is that you're selling, whether it's websites or sales coaching or marketing, like, like you provide to people, if you don't do a good needs assessment, you don't actually understand their view of the situation. Yeah. Right. And so you take something like, like SEO, you know, for example, which is like a very nuanced thing and there's lo there's local, there's organic, there's all different ways of doing it. But if someone reaches out and they say, Hey, I want to do SEO. Okay, great. What do you help me out? What are you, what are you looking for this SEO to do? Like where, why do you think you need it? Oh, well, yeah. I think we need it because of this and this and this, how does that show up? How do you know <laughs> that that's a struggle? Right. And, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and so, what, what you're doing is you're, is you're taking the opportunity to hear them out, which is super important because most people feel like they're not listened to enough, right? And then you add all the sales stigma on top of that. And it's, if you just do a good job of listening in most conversations, if there's a need, they will talk themselves into it. You just have to show up and ask some really great questions and provide, uh, you know, enough room for them to be honest.